Greetings, this is The Pub, Australia Magazine's podcast about all things books and publishing. I'm Dean Karpowitz. I'm Molly Krassel. I'm Daniel Moorbach. I'm Jay McRoy. Today on the show, Watchmen. And so we did a podcast on deconstructing the superhero, and we left Watchmen for its own on Daniel's expertise, and we wanted to watch the HBO series as well. But we kind of want to start with at least the source material, give some background, and then maybe get into some of what we liked about the show, the film, and all of the other stuff surrounding Watchmen. So get us to today in seven minutes, Daniel. (laughs) Uh, Well, once upon a time, DC bought a bunch of characters And Elamore wanted to kill them all. And they were like, no, we just bought these. So come up with your own characters and do whatever you want with them. So Watchmen came out in mid-80s, right around when people were starting to take this stuff seriously, along with Neil Gaiman, Frank Miller. They they sort of helped legitimize right around that, the same time period. So the the overall narrative, I I think, when you're trying to distill it down is Elamore's trying to engage in a sort of meditation in how humanity treats itself and how we treat each other and and how that's expressed through things like politics and violence and particularly obviously through the spectrum of vigilantism and superheroes but really that's that's not what he's necessarily commenting on it's a meta commentary on the narratives and superhero narratives that came before it yes so in some ways I don't know, is this the birth of our fascination in the mainstream with that moral relativism that dominates the main characters of the most popular shows now? Hannibal, Dexter, The Walking Dead, you know. You think Watchmen started it in popular culture, maybe? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I I don't think so. I think that's one of those things that grew into popular culture over a long time. It w- mm-hmm. For the longest time, for a good 15 years there, even though New York Times had it on its top 100 novels ever written, it was still this thing that only comic book nerds knew about. Mm-hmm. And we'd be like, hey, 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 there's this thing, and it, I know it looks like superheroes, but will you please just read it? And mm-hmm. It wasn't, I think, until the movie came out with Zack Snyder in 2009 that people were like, okay, so what is this thing called Watchmen? And that they sort of gave it the the attention, I think. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then it just got kind of put in a can and, and reproduced. But I, I think every time somebody's tried to put a sequel out there or a prequel or, you know, the all the characters got prequel books or it, it's been a labor of love. Usually there's a bit of apprehension where it's like, okay, Alan Moore doesn't want it to be commodified and sequelized and all this. But I got this really great idea for <laughs> Dr. Manhattan's prequel book. Oh, dang it. I guess I'm going to do it. Like, it's, it, it's less about, like, let's just go out and make money. Less a labor of profit. I think so. Yeah. Uh, even Zack Snyder, he has said that, you know, the, the movie studio offered us, like, an extra $10 million for our budget if we cast, like— this big name A-list mm, actor, mm. but we every time said, no, mm-hmm. they're not right for the part. So even Zack Snyder, who who has gotten some flack for some of his interpretations, it was like, I love this book yeah. and I'm mm-hmm. trying to do as best I can. Yeah. Uh, which incidentally, Alan Moore, before the film was in production, he had read the script and he said, you know, this is the best possible adaptation mm. we could reasonably hope for. 
that being said, I won't be watching it. I don't have time for... He, he didn't say, ah, I'll put a curse on you. He's like, I don't have time for movies, but this mm-hmm. is a really good adaptation. Hasn't he also said, though, that he didn't think it was something that would translate well to film? Yes. So I think he was of the opinion that, number one, I wrote a, a comic and I didn't write a movie, so absorb it as a comic because that's what I wrote and that's what the story is. And two, you can't translate it into a film. But he did say of the script, this is as good as you could reasonably hope for. So all that stuff is what we liked. Yes. We have at least one podcast guest who did not like the source material. Why so are you looking at me like that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I thought I thought it was brilliant and that there was a lot of rich and interesting commentary about about people, about superheroes, about the narratives of humanity, but it also seemed very pessimistic. Mm. And I think that made me sad. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think part of that might be that, obviously, in case nobody was aware of this, in the 80s, we didn't all nuke each other. But in the, <laughs> no, context, <laughs> in the context of Watchmen's narrative, I think it's set up that with the presence of Dr. Manhattan particularly, and or the presence of superheroes, I think he's saying there's no avoiding this. Like, we Mm -hmm. are all doomed. We are all going to blow each other up. And I think the only solution was Ozymandias doing exactly what he did. Mm -hmm. But he's so smug about it. (laughs) He's the smartest man in the world. That sounds like something an asshole would say. (laughs) Oh, and he is. Make no mistake. He's a raging megalomaniac. He 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 is. He absolutely is. But does that mean that he was wrong? I don't know. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, I I think at the end of it, once as you really meditate on it, he didn't save the world. He bought it a stay of execution. Mm. I, I think it. I remember it was taught in um, one of the the classes here at Parkside, and one of the students hated the book, and he said, "That's just a stupid ending. He obviously didn't save the world. We're just going to start fighting again in six years or six months." And I'm like, "Uh huh." Like <laughs> nothing ever that, ends. Yeah. yeah, the three most important words in the narrative, I think, is yeah. nothing ever ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The TV show, you know, definitely hangs a lantern on the fact, like, okay, we became friends with Russia. There's Red Scare over here. Russia's not a problem anymore, but we're kind of like our own problem. Mm-hmm. So we didn't we didn't all nuke each other in the 80s, but we still apparently are ever so closer to doomsday. Mm-hmm. So That's why the squid's got to keep falling. Squid's got to keep falling, keep all the nations in line. So what did we let's let's talk about the show. What did we think of the television show and what it does with the source material? I just burned through it all yesterday (laughs) and Uh today, uh this morning, so Uh I'm still processing. But where Alan Moore was, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, they were talking about these very broad concepts about humanity and politics and international relations and and how you treat your next door neighbor. And it's, it's really almost... It's almost like a meditation on a particular paradigm, but without mm. explicitly stating it at, at any point. The TV show narrows that down to race relations within the U.S., and I, I think that was probably a smart decision as opposed to trying to go, how do I think about humanity in 2019? Like, mm-hmm. sorry, man, you're, you're not Alan Moore, so... I think it would have been a mistake to try and treat the the TV show with the same very very broad mm-hmm. strokes. That and it it didn't. I don't know. Race, race relations is one of those things that everybody's kind of got a position on it. So whenever it's brought up, you kind of roll your eyes. The show never made me think. Oh, 
I'm going to roll my eyes at this point or anything mm. like that. Yeah. Rorschach, who I think is worshipped a little bit too much from the original narrative. Yeah. Because he yeah. was just, he was a cool character and I think he was interesting. But there's a hair's breadth between this is an interesting character and failing to acknowledge that it's a terrible person. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was, it was just this weekend I went back and watched not the ultimate cut, but the regular film. And mm -hmm. it's like, I'd forgotten some of the stuff in his journal. That's just like, Oh my God, mm -hmm. you've got yeah. to be kidding me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Liberal <laughs> tears. I think he's yeah. like, Oh, yeah, yeah. they'll cry their liberal tears. And it's like, this was in 1986 yeah. yes. where now it's like a meme, like, haha, liberal yeah. tears. It's yeah. like, I, I think the it's a very natural uh, he he leaves his journal with the equivalent of like Rush Limbaugh mm -hmm. and and Brett yeah. Bart yeah right so that's who Rorschach like worships so of course it ends up if it's gonna radical you take Rorschach and you radicalize him mm. of course it's gonna be white supremacy <laughs> yeah you've radicalized Rorschach you know some more <laughs> yeah <laughs> like he was so mellow before what happened to you buddy yeah yeah. I, I rather liked the show. Uh, I thought that it did, it, it was going in a very interesting direction, that it picked up very interestingly where Watchmen, the original graphic novel, had left off. I, I thought the show fizzled out hard. Yeah, you didn't like the last couple episodes. Uh, no, I thought, hmm. I thought it, it had a lot of great setup and there was a lot of intrigue and all these threads were going in maybe i don't i don't know how it could have ended differently but i thought that it was going in a really interesting direction and then it sort of couldn't sustain the weight of what it was doing mm -hmm. and folded back onto tropes yeah spoiler alert we'll, we'll be talking about the, the ending of the show yeah. which just yeah. dropped not too long ago yeah you didn't like what we were we were messaging back and forth you didn't like where we were left with angela right yeah. The the kind of character she was by the end. You have such a badass female lead. And then all of the action, all of the history, all of the... She's, she's on a journey. She's trying to learn about her past. She is defending her family. She is... I mean, there's such a complex... I think interplay between she basically is on an identity quest. Mm -hmm. She has her mask. She has her history. She is trying to unravel all of these things and figure out quite where she fits in the world. And then the last couple episodes are literally a deus ex Manhattan. <laughs> I've, I've been sitting on the joke for days and I'm so sorry. <laughs> Who comes in is like, I'm going to save the world. And she's like, okay, honey. But does he? With the power of love. I don't, I, you know, does he save the world, though? I mean, or do, do we get saved by frozen shrimp? <laughs> a it's rain of frozen, a rain shrimp, of frozen squid. Yeah, but, I mean. That are bullets. That are bullets, basically. Yeah, you have to Dr. save the Man world twice. And what happens? He gets I mean, thrown in jail. Isn't it but just of course, hail? Like, is it going to destroy five But it's Dr. Blocks? Manhattan it's, it's that warps but it's them to hail. Antarctica it's to release the squid hail. <laughs> I wouldn't say that she's completely <laughs> passive when it comes to... The ending, though, she's not just sitting by and well, watching everything. I was saying, I, I was arguing that she, she has, doesn't have much of a choice. She has that you Jesus see? moment where she's going to walk on the pool, and she becomes pretty much. Thank you. Yeah, I, I knew as soon as she was. I knew as soon as it. Yeah. She 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 went out to the pool. I'm like, it's going to cut away at a, the exact seconds. So yeah. Oh, of course. That. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. which honestly, I, I didn't like the whole transfer powers thing. Is that something that she would even want? I don't feel like that's something that that right. character would would want but Why? it's 
it's something like, well, God needs to persist and, and be, or this character needs to Do we even to know persist. absolutely for sure that, that his power is in that egg? No, we no. don't. Yeah. That's so, the, I mean, well, you could just point splash into the well, water. And, what about all the setup with her grandfather, too? We've you been know? reminded every episode about the egg right. thing. Right. Remember eggs? <laughs> Yeah, and actually, the 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 grand her her relationship with her with her grandfather. I mean, I think that that's um, one of the more interesting elements in in the Absolutely. narrative for me. Yes, um, especially given that she sort of experiences his memories yeah. mm-hmm. through nostalgia, which is not what nostalgia is. Yeah, um, nostalgia is 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 an occlusion of of the real. It's not it's not an it's not an index, right? So I'm I'm kind of curious as to how you guys saw this uh, this idea of of sort of consuming nostalgia as if it were an actual event and allowing that to sort of structure her understanding of the past as well as her present. And look how it redefines the word. Yeah. Think of Mm -hmm. nostalgia and you think of all of this rewriting of your past in a really wonderful Romanticized way Mm -hmm. way or in a a traumatized way. Hers is a complete nightmare. Yeah, and and, and some nostalgia is that. I mean, we just call it trauma, but it's it's a misremembering (laughs) of something that happened. Yeah, I think within Um, the context of the narrative, I just looked at it as marketing. Like, it, it was a drug that was on the market and... You're, That's how I was reading it as well. Oh, yeah. Of course, you're not going to call it like remember the crappy <laughs> yeah, times yeah, yeah. in your life. Like, <laughs> ask your doctor about nostalgia. Ask like, your doctor if other people's nostalgia is good for you. Let yeah. me inject the right. tutorial. Right, right, exactly. But you know, then the the sort of subtle commentary that you know people just tended to focus on the trauma in their lives mm-hmm. and they, they just stuck in that which is something that a lot of superheroes do mm-hmm. and that they would want to revisit it too yeah they revisit it and what's her name the the, the main quote-unquote villain at the end oh true true true, true. yeah yeah which uh, is funny she she's like yeah people get stuck in the past because they don't want to move forward and i'm trying to take people into the future here mm-hmm. well that's a good th- point that's the that's the fuel for most of those characters, though, too, right? The trauma right. is sort of what makes Hooded Justice who Hooded Justice is. Yeah, he even says, now you know my origin yeah. story. Yeah, <laughs> you know, which is, exactly. that was kind of cool. <laughs> no, I'm super angry. I'm going to hit stuff. Like, Why you, did you yeah. say Martha? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's basically what Silk Spectre says, right? Yeah. Like, cool, what's your trauma? <laughs> nice yes. and ask. Yeah. Yeah, yes, I, it is. It is. I kind of loved her character. She was sassy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really liked the character, but I was also like, this. This isn't. This isn't Lori. Great character. I loved the yeah, character yeah. in the TV show, but you you kind of have to go. Well, a lot of time has passed. It's been thirty five years. So, kind of whatever. The same with I think a, a number of the legacy characters mm-hmm. is you just got to mm-hmm. be like a bunch of time has passed. So, yeah. okay. I thought the show dealt with that clunkily in some places too because you know while angela is on this identity quest so is dr manhattan in a lot of ways and his real epiphany sort of happens off stage right we get it in that you're going to ask me on a date we're going to get married that whole bar scene Mm -hmm. in vietnam and his we don't get to necessarily see him turning from this cold, logical character to someone who sort of wants to love. He tells her about that, right? He sort being of. adored is not enough sort of thing. I'll, I'll give that over to someone else. And well, then... Yeah, look what he did with it. Yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> right? Well, remember, he, he did love Lori, and he did love Janie before this. So when Lori and, and Dr. Manhattan are on Mars... And he, he talks about the thermodynamic miracle and how mm-hmm. it's it's people 
are, are thermo. Everybody is. And she has that great moment. It's like, well, if I'm a thermodynamic miracle because of my parents, that means everybody is. He's mm-hmm. like, that's, yes. It kind of strips away this idea that he's this apathetic God that just doesn't care. It's like, no, he, he left he, all these insane. wonderful little miracles running around. Yeah. I just can't sit and solve all your problems for you. Mm-hmm. Well, and he literally yeah. can't relate. He experiences the world in such a different capacity that it makes it difficult, I think, for people who don't experience things the same way that he does to be around him. He forgets yes. to give people oxygen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he takes them to other planets. Right, oh, right. right. You still breathe. Right. That's exactly right. So so what made this time different that all of a sudden, I don't know, he would die for a girl? I don't know if yeah. he died to save her. He was just kind of locked in a cage and he couldn't really. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's part of what the show is meditating on, right? That he can't, there's no, yeah. there's no possible way that he can, like she thinks, oh, and just we're change to it. Think too, yeah. you know, as the audience, yeah. oh, we've we've won. You know, in the in the before Watchmen books, Doctor Manhattan got his own book, and initially I was like, well, what, what's the point of this? Because we've seen everything we need to see from Doctor Manhattan, and it actually touches on what we're talking about here. Because if you look at quantum mechanics, it's you don't know what's in the box until you open the box. It's it's everything at the same time. The cat's living, cat's dead. So how can he be living all moments mm-hmm. at once? Mm-hmm. And what the book says is he, he kind of goes back before he was Dr. Manhattan or, or perceives his, his history. And it's sort of like a quantum no-no. So it's basically what if the cat was its own observer, Schrodinger's cat, mm-hmm. and he breaks space-time. Mm-hmm. Like it all fractures. And in every scenario, the new Earth gets nuked, mm-hmm. except for one. So he literally goes back into his own timeline and stitches it so that every mm-hmm. single decision across, you know, these X number of years, 70 years, is the only singular decision that he will ever make, mm. which is why he can't make another decision. He he basically writes his own history mm-hmm. to be that singular history, which I thought was like this interesting sort of twist on how do you expand on Dr. Manhattan. It's like, well, yeah. he, he did this to himself yeah. and he did this for us to save the world. And we get a double with Adrian Veidt because remember Adrian tells tells Robert Redford, how did I know that you would be elected yeah. president? I laid the groundwork and mm-hmm. everything all the way through yes, to yes. get to this particular point. That's yes. why I can say with assurity now, you know, years before you're ever going to be elected, you know, that I want to welcome you, etc. Yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. there's a kind of doubling that happens yeah. in regards to that. True. We have, we have a couple of minutes left. I do want to kind of talk about one of the things that the show does or has done that the original text did is have us having these kinds of conversations about how we read these texts and how who's to say what should happen. The showrunner came out with like a two-page single-spaced <laughs> letter justifying the decisions that he made with the HBO show to the fan base because everyone was up in arms about what they were doing with Rorschach and wasn't paying attention. Yeah, they weren't paying attention to the source material. But in some ways, doesn't the show do something similar? I mean, we're having these kinds of conversations about the text and the way it should be interpreted, the way it should be assimilated. Well, maybe Warshak's journal is its own sort of mm. like, was this interpreted correctly? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not entirely, yeah. but maybe also there are some parts in there that were interpreted correctly and that should make us uncomfortable. Yeah. 
Well, the idea of interpretation, too, is a really interesting thing, I think, because you have, obviously, Alan Moore had a lot of really specific intentions going in that he refuses to talk about now because Watchmen is dead to him. But also, you have the death of the author, where what we have in front of us is what we have available to interpret, and the meaning that there's there's several different meanings that you can derive out of things based on what is available, and it's easy to say, oh, this is what this means because you weren't paying attention, but who owns it? Who owns the meaning? Mm -hmm. And when the fans are then up in arms because you've taken something that they feel belongs to them and yeah. they're saying that you've done it incorrectly, I feel like that's a really unhealthy evolution of that idea. Yeah. But it's become ever more common oh, yeah. in mainstream culture. Yeah, Twitter shuts things down. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been happening in the games industry, but it's now happening in, in film, you know, in television. It's like... How dare you, you know, change my fuzzy, warm feeling that I have associated with Rorschach, you know, whether... It was nostalgia. Yeah. yeah, exactly. yeah. It's nostalgia for Rorschach. It's Stop not really... Stop taking your own nostalgia, guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should call it there. <laughs> maybe, maybe people will look back fondly on, on this episode. Maybe. Maybe. The pub is produced at the University of Wisconsin Parkside from the studios at WIPZ 101.5 FM. You can tune in Sundays at 2 to catch new episodes, and you can also find us on Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Or you can head over to our website at straylightmag.com for poetry, fiction, art, and, of course, podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for regular updates on new content. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things books and publishing. <laughs>